We are picking up today on the seventh and last lesson of last. So for those that have thought this is a really great series, I'm sorry it's over. And for those that say, I so can't wait till it's over, it's over. <laughs> so some people are going to be really happy and some people are going to be really sad, but in any regard, it'll be over after today. But this last lesson that we're going to learn from last, the sheepdog, and Jenna is handing, Jenna and Grayson again are handing out our review sheets for those that, uh, that haven't been here. Lass is a sheepdog, and uh, he's, on a, he's on a sheep farm, and he's been trained over many, many weeks uh, of training. And uh, now he is moving into the lesson that really is probably one of the more important lessons that we can learn from Lass, and that this will be a very challenging and effective lesson, I hope, for all of us today, because this lesson that we have today is entitled Available for Anything. Available for Anything. Like every application we read about in God's Word, it's just not the reading or it's just not the head knowledge that brings about God's approval in our life. If that's all it was, then we just need to get a library card and go read books. But it's not just the head knowledge. What it really happens, what really, what really uh, reaches the heart of God is when he sees people faithfully doing as they've been asked to do. As they see people like Drew stepping out with faith to say, we want to start a program that is going to minister to young boys. That's what reaches the heart of God. We can read all the books we want on church growth. We can read all the things we want on what it is to be a Christian. But if we don't get it from here, that's 12 inches to our heart, and then get it out to our hands and our feet, we're nothing but glaying symbols uh, <laughs> that are making lots of noise. And making a lot of hoopla, but nothing gets done. So the application today of being available for anything is absolutely the biggest test that we'll have. And that are we really available for anything? And so I want to pick it up this morning. Let's read and uh, I'll pick up the story in page uh, 63, but Jackie doesn't have page numbers on her Kindle. So it says, perhaps the most unforgettable lesson I learned from last can be best summed up in three words, available for anything. It was ultimately last who taught me best what it really means to be utterly abandoned to the master's purposes. She showed me in her loving devotion what it cost to be always available for anything that needed to be done in the interest of the ranch and the flock. Now this is interesting because by now Lass had mastered uh, all the commands that she needed to learn. And she was a very effective member of the ranch. She was a very effective a co-worker with the sheep rancher. And so now it was moving on to her willingness to be there to do whatever needed to be done. Because what really made her valuable was this willingness. Because if she would have decided anywhere along the lines here that she was only going to do what she wanted to do, even though she knew the master's commands, if she had decided that any given time that I don't really feel like doing that today, even though she heard the whistle, she heard the master say, go right, and she said, I'm just going to sit down, or I'm going to go left. If she was not willing to do whatever he asked of her, they would not have had an inefficient relationship, and the ranch would not have been profitable. It would have been a problem. 
And Lass's life there would have been short-lived. Just because she knew the commands wasn't enough. She had to know the commands and then do and be available and be willing to do exactly as the sheep herder, the sheep farmer wanted. And that was the only way that the, that the ranch was profitable. And so forth in our life as a Christian. We can come to church. We can come to Bible studies. We can, we can read the books. But if we're not willing to say, Lord, talk to me. And then be willing to listen. And then be willing to do. We're not being effective, are we? I'm not being effective, am I? Really, we have to be willing and available to do anything. Let's read on. This principle is best understood by recounting a couple different types of duty that Lass was expected to carry out. The first had to do with gathering up or counting sheep. I can recall the sense of foreboding that would sweep over me whenever I went into the pasture and found that one or several of the, of the ewes or lambs was missing. On other occasions, when the flock were fat and flourishing on the fallen acorns, it was quite common for the choicest ewes to become cast, which, is, which means unable to get back up on their feet. They would soon die unless I found them in time to turn them over. Now, isn't that interesting? I never knew that. But these lambs or these sheep would have great abundance of food every so often. And they would get so fattened up on the acorns that if they fell down, they couldn't get back up. <laughs> you know, they're falling down and I can't get back up. That's kind of, it sounds kind of funny. But it's a very serious thing. And if Lass wasn't willing to go out and find all the sheep, look for all of them, there could have been one laying on its back someplace dying because she was so fat from the blessing. Wow, that hit me pretty hard. That hit me pretty hard. It was. Let me ask the question because it, I had to ask it of myself. Can I as a Christian become so overblessed in God's provision that I effectively fall down and not be able to get back up? Are God's blessings that come into my life, are they motivating me to do more for God? Or do I find myself becoming more complacent and godly lazy because I have all the blessings of life? Can I become so fat with God's blessing that I die? Can you? Can I? Jesus spoke of a parable of such overabundance in Luke chapter 12 Verse 15 through 21, Jesus said this parable. Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Wow. That hits me hard. It, it, it should hit every American hard. This thing called retirement in America. What are we doing? Is it godly? What are we doing? when we get so much that I don't need to work? I'm just asking a question. I'm just saying. 
But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be, it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. <laughs> you know, Jesus comes right at it, doesn't he? This is Jesus speaking. This is not some person. This is Jesus coming right at the people. Isn't it obvious that God's blessings should make one more productive? See, if I find myself becoming spiritually lazy with godly blessings, then understand that the love that God has for me and the love that God has for you will more than likely result in some form of discipline action to get you back on your feet. That last, that dog that came up to that cast sheep, and that cast sheep might not have knowing, been even knowing it was dying. It might have just enjoying itself, laying there so fat and happy. And here comes that pesky little dog to get him off his back and back on her feet. And that lamb might have said, leave me alone, I'm happy. What are you messing with me for? But that dog was there to save that lamb's life, to get up, get yourself moving again. Because if you lay there in your spiritual laziness, if you lay there in your physical uh, uh, obesity, you're going to die, little lamb. So get up and get moving. And that's God's love, isn't it? Isn't that God's love? Let me ask you the question. Let me ask it this way. Which would you rather have? Would you rather have God's discipline now while you have the chance to repent and change? Or would you rather enjoy all the pleasures of the world for the moment and then have God's final discipline at Judgment Day when it's too late to change? Which would you rather have? Now, I know I'm speaking to mostly Christians here. I know that. And I don't want anyone to feel that when I go through these lessons that I'm harping or, or negative speak at all. I'm not. I'm encouraging and I'm encouraging with these because I need to be encouraged with this. I need to be physically and, and spiritually motivated by this stuff too. I want God's blessing. I want God's discipline because God says he disciplines those he loves. And I want God to love me. And I want him to show his love to me. So I am therefore willing to accept his discipline. Let's move on. Some of our land was wild and rough, especially along the shoreline. Some of this was rocky with great granite outcroppings. Amid the boulders there were patches of wild roses, thorny blackberry tangles, old stumps, and down timber. The sheep loved to work their way into these spots, searching for stray patches of sweet grass or other dainty herbs they relished. It was no easy thing to find all the flock in such difficult cutover of country. But this was an important part of the work entrusted to lass. I would send her to fetch out every straggling stray ewe and lamb. Fetch them in, lass, I would command her. Go out and bring them home. Then without hesit hesitating an instant, she would be gone, pushing through the undergrowth, running over the rough rocks. There was a high cost to the dog in all of this. She would become very weary. Her face would be scratched and torn by the thickets. Her coat would be clogged with burrs and debris. Sometimes the pads of her feet would be lacerated with the sharp stones. Yet she went gladly with happy abandon. Her selfless abandonment to my wishes made an enormous impact upon me. In quiet moments of revere, I would ask myself the soul-searching questions. Am I this available to my master? Am I as willing to fling myself into his work? Am I so devoted to him? Does the matter of suffering deter me from duty? 
I never sent Lass into hard places to hurt her, but I put her into challenging circumstances to save the sheep. And it was out of all these endeavors together that she gradually matured and developed into a magnificent worker. All of us, as God's people, seem to shrink back from suffering. We are so often reluctant to undertake even the smallest assignment for the Master. We are reluctant to share our strength, our time, or talents to touch others in trouble. We draw back from the distasteful situation where we might have to suffer a bit in order that others might be saved. Reflecting upon all of this, I began to see why it is that Christ calls us as his co-workers to go into tough places. Being his friend is no cozy guarantee that life will always be either easy or even agreeable. There are simply bound to be some tough assignments, some suffering if we are to fully comply with his commands. Isn't that awesome? Now let me ask you, how does this make you feel in your willingness to be used of God? Well, I don't know about you, but this certainly challenges my form of religion. This certainly challenges me because I like a form of religion that says God blesses me so that I can be comfortable. God blesses me so that I can be prosperous. I, I really like, even though I don't agree with prosperity teaching and prosperity preaching that says that God wants all of his people to be rich. I would love that. But I don't see that in the Bible. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. That, that God's blessings fall on those to make them self-sufficient. God's blessings fall on those that, make, that are looking at God as their sufficiency. The ones that trust in God the most are the ones that God wants to bless the most. When I can be like that, like that farmer that built the other barn, if that's my mentality, that's short-lived, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes, it is. We all can agree with that. So then why, then, do we have to go through these hard times? Why does he not just make my life smoother? We've talked about it. Couple, yesterday, Jackie and I talked about it. And this morning, Jill and Jack and I talked about it before praise and worship. Let me give you some information. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says this. Again, this isn't going to make any sense. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Boy, if we stopped at considerate pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, uh, there's not a lot of hope there, is there? <laughs> I don't consider trials as joyful. But yet, when I look at the rest of the verse, it says, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work, so that I may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. But I look at my life and I'm lacking all kinds of stuff, God. What do you mean I'm not lacking anything? I I'm struggling in lots of areas of my life, God. What do you mean? What he's saying is, you don't know the end of the story. What he's saying is, persevere. What he's saying is, be faithful. I'm testing your faith. I'm testing you to see, can I trust you with more things? Can I trust you? 
Let's look down in the verse 12 of 1 James, or James chapter 1. It says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those that love him. Do you want the crown of life? Persevere under trial. Persevere. Don't give up. Don't throw it in. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer griefs and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So these trials and these tests that come across that come to good Christian people, they come because through them we bring glory to Christ. We bring glory to God. And it results in praise and glory. And, and then we receive the crown of life. It's all good. These testings, these trials, whatever variation they come into you, they clearly are for my benefit. They're clearly for your benefit, even though you may be confused in them in so many ways. But don't be distracted and don't be distrusted by them. Let's continue. Many of us fail to realize what a noble honor it is to be called a friend of God. We are not often shown what a stirring challenge it is to be called to suffer with him. We do not seem to see that amid all the varied viscosities of, of life, vicissitudes of life, sorry, he really does know what he is doing with us. He can grasp the whole scheme of things and see far beyond our finite view. He is utterly in command and in control of every situation. Let us then trust him fully. Let us follow him fearlessly. Let us fling ourselves with glad abandon into his enterprises. See, when Lass was told to go into the bushes, she was told to go into the thorn thicket. She was told to go into the rocky outcroppings to get the sheep. She didn't see the sheep. From her vantage point, she didn't know there were sheep there. See, but from the vantage point of the shepherd... Because he was taller. He could see. He knew the sheep. Maybe he saw them go in and last didn't. He knew there were sheep there. He knew there were things that he needed to get, last needed to get out of there. But last didn't know it. But last never questioned him. He never looked and said, come on, man. Why am I going in there? He just went in. He, the, the, I mean, she, the dog last just followed the commands, even though she didn't see why. She had to go through it. But the vantage point of the shepherd, the vantage point of God, he sees us. He knows exactly where we're at. And he says, just trust me. Go where I ask you to go because I see what I have out there for you. You don't see it today, but trust me, it'll be for your good. Trust me, it's for your benefit. Just follow me. Follow my commands. My, my, as we talked earlier, the, the, the obedience of God is a delight. It's a delight to obey the Father because he has the vantage point that I don't have. He sees the beginning from the end and he knows what has to happen to allow that to happen. Therefore, I may have to be in the pit for a while. I may have to be like Joseph and be in prison for maybe 13 years. Joseph was in prison before he was released 
to be what God was making him to be while he was in the prison. It's encouraging, isn't it? To know that God has the vantage point and he has the reason for us to be going through what we're going through. And I don't need to understand it. I don't need to understand it. I just have joy in it. First Peter goes on, it says in chapter eight, or first uh, Peter chapter one, verses eight and nine, it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Isn't that awesome? I don't see God today. Do you see God today? We might see visions of him, we might see angels, we may see his working in his hand. But even though I don't see God, he sees me. He sees where I'm at. He sees where this church is at. He sees where my family is at. He sees my finances. He sees my emotions. He sees my health. He sees it all. And I'm so trusting in him that when I allow my life to go after it, when I allow my life to have perseverance, then what does perseverance mean? It means hang in there. It means endure. It means keep at it. Persist, continue, press in, stick it out. It means never give up. Never throw in the towel. Never say it's not worth it. Never say it's too hard. Never say God really doesn't want me to work that hard. It, it's, it's a bad thing. Don't, never give up. Never let your life question to the point that you give up. You can question God. You can ask him. But when he says... It's not for you to know right now. Take that as an answer and move on. Just move on. Very important point to understand as well is that God will never ask you to do something that he hasn't given you the ability to complete. God will never ask you to do something where you will purposely fail. He's, God is not a God of failure. God does not fail in anything that he does. And he doesn't want his people to fail in what they do. He may challenge you significantly, and he may put you up a wall that you don't know how you're going to climb or get around or get through, but he'll open the door, or he'll provide you the way to get through it. He will never ask you to do something, number one, that he hasn't done already. A good leader will never ask their coworker or their worker to do something that either they wouldn't do or they haven't done. Think about that. Think about your boss. You will respect your boss more when you see him do it first or know that he has done it or know that he can do it, but because he's the boss, he has a delegation authority to say, you do it. Not because I won't, not because I can't, not because I haven't, but because it's my job to delegate to you, to you do what you need to do, so that someday you can be the boss. So you can learn through those experiences the same way. So Michael, when Ron's telling you to lift that wood... Understand, it's not because he doesn't want to or he hasn't. You just got to do it. Yep. <laughs> he said, yep, Ron, so you got him. <laughs> Let me read in 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is in the message. 11 through 14, it says this. This is the message I've been sent apart to proclaim as preacher, emissary, and teacher. It's also the cause of all this trouble I'm in. Well, that's really nice. But I have no regrets. I couldn't be more sure of my ground. The one I've trusted in can take care of what he's trusted me to do right to the end. Isn't that encouraging? 
It is, I'm going to hold out for you. Continue on to verse 13 of that same chapter. So keep at your work. His faith and love rooted in Christ, exactly as I said it for you. It's as sound as the day you first heard it from me. Guard this precious thing placed in your custody by the Holy Spirit who works in us. See, the good times will come, but right when you're in the season of testing and trial, that's not the time to give up and give in. It's the time to press in and push through the circumstances because God is wanting to mature and, com and complete you so that you lack nothing. And maybe you don't really see that today. Maybe you're understanding and you're still questioning. But let me, let me throw this at you. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 through 13, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, it's, understand, it's important that we understand the context of what's happening here in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is not prophesying to people that are fat and happy. Jeremiah is prophesying to people that are in exile, that they have been taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar, and many of them have been killed. And who he's speaking to? He's speaking to the remnant. He's speaking to the surviving elders. If you go back to Jeremiah 29, verse 1, it says, This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And verse 10 says, This is what the Lord says, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to you to bring you back to this place. Jeremiah is prophesying this promise of God knowing the plans of the people in the midst of turmoil. There are going to be 70 years in captivity before this plan comes to pass. Patience, endurance, perseverance. I hate those words, but they're so important for me to get them in my soul so that when I have those in my soul, I can worship the Lord, oh my soul, like we did today. Like in King David when he says, Worship the Lord, O oh my soul. In the midst of it all, when I understand God's patience and persistence and how much I have to have it, then I can worship the Lord from my soul. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Then you will call upon me, and I will come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So let's go back to the areas of our life today that we may experience some problems in and compare that lives to the times in life when everything's going very smoothly. Let me ask you, when do you find yourself seeking God more diligently in the times of success and prosperity or in the times of adversity and testing? So then don't ever let those times of adversity and testing be considered failures in your life. Don't ever let those times when you struggle be ever a time of, of discouragement, when you know that that's what's getting you to seek the Lord with all your heart. And when you seek the Lord with all your heart, you will find Him. He will be there for you in the times of the most severe testing. He has not forgot about you. He has not forgot about you or anything you are doing. Let's finish this up. The Lord used last to teach me still another truth about himself. In the dark and difficult episodes in life, he was always there. He is fully alert and aware of the dangers abroad. He spares himself no pains to protect us from those who would imperil our lives. 
Last, help me to understand that it is often in the darkest hour, during pressing danger, that the Master is closest to us. He cares, and He cares profoundly. It is His presence which gives us peace. It is His nearness which gives us hope. It is His protection which gives us life. In the midst of our danger, there is delight. We need not be alarmed or anxious. He is here. Amen? That's who we serve. That's the God that we serve. That no matter what the day brings, how dark it is. Deuteronomy 4.31 says, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy or forget the covenant with your forefathers, which he confirmed to them by oath. God is here. And he is here and he wants us to give us the, his protection and his presence. So as we conclude this this morning, Jackie, if you'd get ready to come. Actually, yeah, no, actually don't come. Sorry. Stay there, Jackie. I want to conclude this morning with a video. But before we do that, uh, we're going to go into communion. But as we conclude this final lesson on this series, I think we can make the following observations. That as we focus on Jesus and we remain in his right hands that we're set free to follow. We're set free to follow his godly commands and as we live within his godly boundaries, he will ultimately lead us to eternal life. And that we also know that trust is something earned. And as we serve God, we learn to trust him. The more we trust God, the more God can trust us. We learn that obedience is a delight and not a burden. With obedience comes regret-free living in a true relationship that isn't hindered by our own bad choices. We learn that God allows situations to occur in our lives that will test us, thus the, faith of, the test of faithfulness. God's purpose is always above ours, and even though we may not understand, he, we, we do know that he has our best interest in mind, and that he will never abandon us. He'll never forget about us. God's results are always good for us. We learn then finally that true love plus true discipline equals total and complete restoration. God's love and discipline come hand in hand. God loves you. He loves you so much. He disciplines you. He disciplines me. Because with that then comes total and complete restoration. Isn't that awesome? And then finally today we discover that as our willingness to serve God in any and all capacities, they will not go unrewarded. God will ask you to do things that you may not understand. And you may not even understand when in life they come, but understand he will never leave those unrewarded or unnoticed. I want to show this video by Francis Chan. Francis Chan is a very uh, radical person. If you know Francis Chan, you either love him or you hate him because Francis will make you rethink your religion. This video today is for all of us, even though he's kind of gearing toward the older generation, which is 50 and above. It's really for all of us. So, Larry, if you'd, uh, if you'd listen to this. And, and let me ask you, while you're getting ready, while you're listening to this, I want you to prepare for communion and listen to the message that Francis is bringing to us, the challenge that he's bringing to us. I really believe that as we listen and as we apply this, this will make this communion a little bit more significant to you. I just want to respectfully say um, I meet very few elderly people 
whose lives make sense to me biblically. Because I'm 44 years old, and every year I think to myself, I was thinking about it today, I just, I, I think about how I am closer and closer to the end of it all. I have so many friends who have passed away that are younger than me. And I go, man, any moment I'm going to see you, God. And I check my life. I go, is there anything I haven't surrendered? Anything I, I don't want to be holding on to this stuff. It's like that game, Hot Potato. You know, remember you used to play that? Well, you just don't want it. You know, you want to just pass it. Because when the music ended or whatever, you didn't want it in your hands. I almost feel like that way with my possessions and my stuff. Like, I want to give it. I want to give it. I want to care for the poor. I don't want to, at the end, have all this stuff hoarded, saved, doing nothing. And so I'm constantly looking at my life saying, God, I want to be ready to face you. And so I want to risk it all. I want to risk it all. Because, man, I'm 44. I don't know how much longer I have. And every year goes faster, doesn't it? Like if, if you're 10 years old, it's like you're moving 10 miles an hour to get through the year. And then once you're 30, it's like you're moving 30 miles an hour. I'm like, oh, that's pretty comfortable. And then after a while, it's like, dang, that year, is it already 2012? You know, I'm going 44 miles an hour. Respectfully, I don't meet a lot of elderly that are really living like they're about to see Jesus and, and saying goodbye to the things of this world and letting go of that stuff. Honestly, I mean, how can you not be thinking about that and risking more than ever? Some of you are still buying stuff, like you're going to enjoy it and saving some of the stuff. And I just think, man, my life has been about letting go, letting go, letting go, because I'm going, man, I'm getting closer and closer to the end, and I want to live by more and more faith every year. And I just think we've been living so backwards in the States, where we do everything crazy when we're 18, and we go, oh, yeah, I was crazy back then. You know, I'd go on mission trips, and I would, you know, and we would talk about, oh, those good old days. And I'm just saying, man, doesn't it make more sense that the older we get, the more we realize, okay, this, this world has nothing left for me. The church is in dire need of elderly people that are living radically for their faith. And some of these young people are dying to come under the tutelage of elderly people that seriously cannot wait to see Jesus and are living that way. told you he'll, he'll rock your boat but tell me one thing in that that wasn't biblical what com what one comment can you find any comment that, that Francis Chan, Chan said that doesn't ring true now I'm not against and I know that the older we get the more, the more tired we get and God did waste all the energy on youth there's no question about it I understand and I am no way beating anybody up over it because I understand it all. Believe me, I do. But I am challenging my spirit more and more and more that the older I get, the more I better be praying. I don't care how tired I am, I can pray. I can pray and I can dig in and I can intercede for youth and I can do the things that need to be done from my knees or from my chair. And then let the Drews and the Rileys of the world and me, Jackie, and Jill, and the younger ones, let us take up our role. But, but see, it's a teamwork, isn't it? 
It's a teamwork. And so when we look at all of us, you're the younger one, Jackie. Don't think I'm – I didn't put you with the old people. You know that. But I just, I'm just so – I just challenged in my heart. How do we make a difference? How do we make a difference? At any age, how do we make a difference? How do we hang in there? How do we persevere at all? I want to take the time now to have communion. And I think the best way to do it, because we're small in numbers, I'd like to, those that are, are wanting to take communion, you don't have to be a member of the church. I'd like to come up to the front. And let's just take it up here and be family. And uh, let's just uh, come to the Father and to the communion table together as a family. So if you would, why don't you stand up? Jackie's going to play some music. And, and just stand up. And let's come to the front. And let's just uh, serve yourself. Just come over and help yourself. And then stay close. Don't, don't run away. You know, I, I don't think we really had any, can even begin to imagine the emotions that Jesus had when he had his last meal with his disciples. We do this on a monthly basis, and it becomes kind of routine and kind of rote for us because it's a commandment, and therefore we do these things. But, you know, I, I just think that we need to, every once in a while, or I think every time we take communion, that we understand the passion and the intensity of what Jesus felt when he took this last supper. And how significant this is and how serious this is. It says that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same way after supper he took the cup saying this is a cup of my new covenant my blood do this and whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes therefore whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord a man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. Here's the key, folks, and this is what everyone can be doing right now. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined. Do you hear the word? We are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. That's why communion is so important. Because it's a time where we judge ourselves. And if we take the time to judge ourselves, 
honestly, I'm talking honest, getting down on your face, groveling before the Lord and judging myself and say, Lord, if there be anything in me, if there be any wicked way within me, show it to me that I can take care of it. Not that I can cover it up. Not that I can cover it over and move on to the next thing. Not that I can go back to it tomorrow and revel in it again. But Lord, if there be any wicked way within me, show me so that I can repent. Meaning turn away, go the other direction. And then that I can then live my life as Francis Chan encouraged us to live our life with reckless abandon. Because the day is going to come very quickly when we're going to be having the supper again with the Lord. Amen. What a blessing that is going to be. What a celebration that is going to be. So as we take this cup, as we take this bread, lift with me the bread in your hand, please. Let's just go before the Lord and let's just honor him this morning. First of all, Lord Jesus, we just come before you. And Lord, we have taken this time of judgment of our own heart. And we ask you, Lord, to forgive us of our sin. Lord, I believe that the step of renewal first has to be done with a step of repentance. Before I can move forward, I must look at my life. And I must, if there are areas that I need to go back and, and take care of, I must repent. I must say I'm sorry and really mean it. Before I can move forward, I have to do that. So, Father, we take this few minutes right now, we take this period of time, and we say, Lord, examine our hearts Forgive us of our sin. Forgive us of the times that we failed you. Forgive us for the times we've spoken up and we shouldn't have spoken up. The times that we've gossiped or slandered or done things we shouldn't have done. Forgive us, Jesus. Lord, let us be uh, fresh and let us have that relationship restored with you. Father, now as we lift up this element, this cracker in our hand, we recognize that that is the body of Christ. We recognize that this was your sacrifice. And though it's symbolic, and though it's really just a saltine cracker, but Lord, we know that that represents the body that was beaten for us. The body that, that was torn for us. Undeservedly torn for us. You took on our sin. And because of that, Father, we can celebrate this with you today. Let's partake of the cracker together. And now, Lord, as we consider the cup that's in our hand, and we, cons- we consider what it means to have the juice that represents the blood of Christ, the life-giving blood of Christ, the blood that was shed, the blood that brings healing, the blood that brings new life. Lord, it was a complete sacrifice on your end. You didn't give partially. You gave it all. And, Lord, we want to give all back to you. Help us to do that, Holy Spirit. Give us the ability to do that. Thank you, Father, one more time for sending Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for that. We would have nothing if you wouldn't have done that, Father. If you would not have sent Jesus to die for us, we would have nothing today besides hopelessness and despair. But, Lord, we have the love of Christ. And we have the hope and the promise of eternal life based upon what we hold in our hand right now. And we apply the blood of Jesus on our life in its complete and entirety. We honor you. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake together.
Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Rejoice. Just